Welcome to episode 10 of the Practical Medicine Podcast, where it is our goal to bring awareness about the many different ways to maintain health and heal your body, mind, and spirit, from acupuncture to Zen living and everything in between. And I'm Dr. Rob Balco, and this is Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki. And this evening we have a special guest, Mark Mastrandrea, licensed acupuncturist, who has had a lot of experience over the last year or so uh, treating uh, COVID. I myself uh, contracted COVID uh, right before Christmas, and um, because of the herbs I was taking and acupuncture, I was able to um, really get through it pretty well. And how about you, Stephanie? So I have been fortunate that I myself have not got it, but my boyfriend contracted it right before he left for Tennessee, didn't find out until he landed there. I had sent him with some preventative herbs that thankfully he had there, um, and he went out and got additional supplements that he took and had a relatively mild case of it, you know, all things considered with pre-existing conditions and, and whatnot. That's great. So, uh, Mark has uh, graduated from the University of Connecticut in 2007 with a biology degree and went on to the Swedish Institute studying Chinese medicine. In 2010, he graduated and shortly after that opened up a clinic in New York and Connecticut. And Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, thank I you. I wanted to ask you about your clinic that you opened up in 2013. Can you tell us a little about oh. that? All right. So I opened up a clinic and I named it Pochi Lam or uh, in Mandarin it's called Bauchilin, which means medical treasures from the forest. And I, I opened this clinic sort of in reverence to obviously my teachers, but also a martial arts hero. He was also a doctor in, um, in China around the turn of the last century. His name was uh, Wong Fei Hung. And you'll notice you'll see him in a lot of uh, um, martial arts movies. Once upon a time in China, Jet Li plays him. He's very popular. But a lot of people in Chinese medicine, you don't study him because he wasn't a prominent doctor, but he was a cultural hero who treated people during epidemics and during the fall of the Qing dynasty. And uh, he worked on really helping poor people and people who were injured by the fall of uh, China during that time. And so growing up and kind of having him as a hero when I was a kid, I decided to open up this clinic and name it after him. Um, and so we, oh, I opened it in Connecticut and uh, it ran, first we rented space from another clinic and uh, I rented rooms and then we just got, we outpaced them at about a year. We had outpaced the rooms in the clinic and the amount of area that they had. And so we, maybe a year and a half. And so I ended up hiring on staff and we rented our own building, um, uh, 2,700 square feet, I think, 2,800 square feet. It was rather big. And uh, we split it up into multiple treatment rooms. We had a whole um, front area. We taught Qigong and we had tea that we had brought in from China and we taught different classes on things. We had a kitchen, we had bathrooms and everything. And so we ran that. It was a high volume clinic for uh, three years. Um, and we saw everything that came through the door, whether it be infectious disease, severe trauma, emotional issues, um, you know, abuses, uh, uh, mental illness, uh, you name it, we saw. And, um, and I think everything probably a gunshot wound. Like we even had people who had been stabbed or cut come into the clinic we treated that i mean we treated everything and um and we did that for three years we saw about 40 i'd say 25 to 40 patients daily and uh we were um through that throughout the week every every day throughout the week 25 to 40 patients we got a lot of experience i had some great acupuncturists and then in uh we shut it down in 2016 and i moved to china what made you move to china um i had always wanted to go to china um but I started going for uh, vacations and whatnot, and I wanted to study more. And particularly, I met a man named Shu Shushi, and Shu Shufu or Shu Sufu. He taught Bagua Zhang. He taught a specific lineage of Bagua Zhang, and he was older. And I really wanted to learn it, and I wanted to learn Chinese, and I wanted to understand more about the culture and where medicine Taoism had come from. So, after really bonding with Shu during my uh, temporary trips, where I'd go and spend a month or you know whatever. I decided that I would give up everything because I had a window with him before he got too old to teach um, where he could still teach and, and things would still be cognitive. And so I said, I kind of judged whether, you know, what should I do? Can I make a little more money before I go? And I said, no, no, I got to go now. And it was a good choice because um, uh, she no longer teaches now publicly, really. 
Um, and he, so I went over there and I trained with him for four years and uh, he passed on the lineage to me. He declared me his uh, final 2D and uh, which means like disciple or apprentice. And uh, he kind of tasked me to carry on the development of his Bagua system or the Bagua system that comes through his lineage. And so that's, that's why, that's a big reason why I went there. And, and what is that Bagua Zhang? Uh, uh, for people who have, have no background at all in Chinese medicine. Mm. So Bagua Zhang is a martial art that was kind of appeared on the scene in the 1800s. Um, it's a credit to a guy named Dong Haichuan. And Dong Haichuan was a, um, he just kind of showed up in Beijing one day and started very much outclassing local martial artists, sort of like a Bruce Lee type of person in the sense of like, he practiced a mix of systems together. And uh, uh, he didn't call it Bagua when he taught it. He called it Zhuanjiang, uh, uh, which meant rotating palm. And um, he was picked up and worked for the imperial family in the imperial city. He worked for a prince as a personal bodyguard and then a tax collector. And he was pushed to take on students. And he took on a series of students who became very prominent fighters. In fact, the sort of like the, the father, the head of the lineage that I studied actually became um, uh, Empress Sushi's bodyguard when they escaped the imperial city at the fall of the dynasty because of their prowess in martial arts. And so there's a lot of Qigong and martial application that goes into it. And so this is Bagua Zhang. It can be seen as sort of, it's considered a sister style to Tai Chi, although it's much faster and the way that Shu teaches is much more fierce and fighting oriented and the health aspects come second and the fighting aspects come first. So that's, that's kind of, uh, that's, that's what Bagua Zhang is. So you were in China when, when COVID kind of started. Mm -hmm. I was in China. Yeah. yeah, I was, um, so I was teaching at a teaching hospital on the Zhongyao Dashui, the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. I was teaching at a hospital on their campus called Guitang. And Guitang means like the, the the hall of the country medicine. And it's like this, the country's medicine. And it's like this, uh, um, it's like this hospital where they teach. There's many of them all over China, but this particular one is very popular. And it was a teaching hospital where students would come and kind of uh, shadow, you know, other doctors, whether they go, uh, whether it would be them and another doctor for a semester or two, or they do grand rounds or whatever. And so a doctor who worked there, Dr. Wang had met me while I was um, going to uh, Beijing University of Chinese Medicine studying English. And she had asked me if I would come and uh, work with her in the hospital. And so she had, she had brought me in. And so I was seeing patients and she was learning from me and I was learning from her and um, we were exchanging. And then her students were also learning from me. Um, and uh, she was very interested to learn what I had learned, particularly from uh, Jeffrey Yuan, who was the founder of Swedish Institute. And I studied under him, you know, for many, many years. And so she was very interested in that. So when I was there, um, she pulled me aside one day and she warned me about a strange pneumonia that had kind of broken out. And this strange pneumonia had kind of made the news and, but it was like hearsay right now and don't say too much because, you know, they're cracking down on people who say things, but protect yourself if you see it and report it to me immediately. So I said, okay. So um, we started, she started sending me and gathering like ideas and how to treat it. I started seeing methods and how they were going to treat it. And I got a lot of this information ahead of time, starting in late December, early January. Um, but there's nothing you can really do in China when things like this happen. The you know there's very little you can do, especially with the control of the media and everything. So it either blows up or it blows over, right? It's one or the other, and most things blow over. So you know, kind of people ignore it. But in this case, it blew up, and they allowed travel. They kept allowing travel around the country because they didn't want to make things look unusual to the rest of the world, including allowing people to travel outside of China. So I went to. Um, Taiwan for Chinese New Year. And when I went there to visit my Taiwanese family, that's when it blew up and it got so big that they canceled the flights back to China. And so I ended up staying in Taiwan. I was, I couldn't go back home to Beijing. I was, I stayed in Taiwan for a month. I stayed with my family there and, um, and you know, my god kids and everything. I have Taiwanese god kids and I stayed there and I traveled around Taiwan and watched what they did as far as nationally with their policies and, you know, rationing masks and doing certain things. And then after that, I realized, you know, I don't think America's ready for this. 
I think I could be of some usage because I know how to treat this already and I have some ideas. So I got on a plane and instead of staying in Taiwan, I came back to America and I, uh, I hit the ground and immediately started, when I hit the ground, started getting supplies, buying things associated with formulas or acupuncture, you know, whatever. And I started stocking that. And then I started treating patients in March. So more of your treatment was once you got back here versus while you were still there. Most of the, it was more observing while you were there and then incorporating it when you got back here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mark, how do you approach the, the um, COVID from the Chinese medical perspective? So this idea of this guest host theory is very prominent. And um, the idea with COVID is obviously it's what they call a when ye or a, a pestilent factor. It's this hot, uh, quickly traveling, quickly, very contagious disease. But it's particular based on a person's body. Are they a good host for this guest? Right. Is the terrain of the body likely for them to catch it? Are they in a healthy state where they'll shake it out of themselves rather quickly or it'll never get in to begin with? Right. Like or is it weak and sickly so that when it comes in, it's going to find a home where it doesn't want to leave. Right. And it's just going to take over. And so when dealing with this, the important thing is to strengthen those aspects of the body that are weak digestion respiration, you know, these things that are what we can call in Chinese medicine, postnatal, postnatal energy, things that you get not from your DNA, not passed down from genetics and through, through your prenatal or your early development in the womb, but things that would be developed when you're living, you know, and this is how I first approach it. Uh, exercise and respiration are important, but then when treating it, I'll look to see where it's affecting the person. Oftentimes it will go to the weakest areas, the areas that have been most compromised. Sometimes those areas are so weak, however, that it'll actually barrel through them and move to stronger areas. So you take it on a patient by patient basis and, um, and you treat it. I have personally found that in mild cases, just general primary channel treatment in acupuncture works phenomenally well. If you see a patient face to face. Um, just like more mild herbs, Xiao Chai Hutang, you know, Yin Chao San, depending on, the, you know, where this thing is. But if it gets very, very severe, I have found that a lot of these pathologies move into what we call the divergent channels or the Jin Bian, these other channels. And this accounts for a lot of the neurological disorders, many of the long hauler symptoms, uh, many of the scary things people talk about, blood thickening, you know, everything that everybody's really scared about. Exactly. This is very easily treated with acupuncture. And I'm sure with herbal medicine too, I have just been treating it with acupuncture. So I know it can be treated with herbal medicine, but I have seen it work time and time again. And in many cases, nearly instantaneously to reverse these symptoms and put this person back on the road to recovery. Um, it's just, it's incredible. And so this is how I approach it. It's got to be done regularly and it has to be done long enough generally on a daily basis for about a week and a half to two weeks, especially if they're severe before ever taking any breaks. Um, and it works every time I've now treated over a hundred COVID patients, uh, many, many, many of them face-to-face, probably the majority of them. And, um, and I've never lost a patient, even the severe ones, the ones who, if they were in the hospital would have been on respirators or ventilators. We've reversed all of them. None of them have ever died. And you're getting in there within the first that, that, you know, so somebody doesn't usually start showing symptoms yeah. until the first four days. They tell you four days after exposure, you're getting to them. Like they find out they have it. They're getting in touch with you and you jump in right away. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, sometimes some people think they can wait it out and then they end up contacting me when the symptoms have gotten very, very severe. So they could be two weeks into this. They could be a week and a half into this. They could be a few days into this. They might be four weeks into this. It just depends on when they, but most people do come to me early. Um, however, the severe, the very, very severe ones, normally they're the ones who kind of delayed, they kind of drag their feet on the whole issue. And then by the time you get in, you're trying to keep them out of the hospital because um, most of the therapies offered in hospitals are not effective and they actually kind of worsen these prolonged conditions. Um, and so, and it's not that you can't treat them like it's not that you would not be able to treat them if they were in the hospital. There's not like a line in the sand like that. It's just the way it's set up. 
they don't allow you to treat them based on the system. So right. you're doing everything as possible to keep them alive by keeping them from even right. using the hospital as a choice, you know. I know some of the articles that I was seeing in the beginning in terms of treatment in China that they are using herbal therapies in the hospitals. We don't do that here. I mean, I could remember teachers when I was at PCOM saying, oh, no, if you had not, not COVID, obviously, but if you had whatever condition, oh, you'd be getting herbs in an IV. You'd be getting herbs, you know, and it's so different here. So, yeah, our, we're that last sort of resort before someone would maybe necessarily go into the hospital with something. Um, and in terms of the patients that you've treated, um, there's been a few cases where I've seen where people who you just wouldn't expect to get it, who you would think otherwise had these super strong constitutions, get it and are in the hospital and, and don't make it. And I think that's what makes this disease so hard to, you know, wrap your head around, like why someone who would otherwise seem so healthy gets it. Um, there was a case of some, uh, uh, and only because I follow what goes on on Broadway, where there was a Broadway actor who had such a severe case and he ended up passing away from it. They amputated his leg and, and he was in the hospital for months and months and months. And he was not somebody that you would have looked at him and been like, oh yeah, he's in bad shape and he's gonna, you know, not at all. And I think that's the thing that um, as practitioners, we're just like, you know, you don't know who is going to be impacted in that whole idea of staying strong ahead of, you know, trying to stay ahead of it for one thing and stay healthy and, mm. and early intervention, early intervention, if you get it right. Yep. Yep. That's, I think that's important. I think that another thing that a lot of people don't realize is that there's always health is not a destination. We look at health in the West as a destination. Health is not a destination. It's a path that you travel. So of many people who seem healthy, they're managing to hold it together, but they're not doing it as a path. They're not adjusting for different places they are in life. So many people who are healthy or seem like they have strong constitutions, when something breaks, it's not, they're not adjusting their path. They're kind of shouldering down and pulling through it. You know what I mean? And so maybe, so dietary wise, uh, many of these people were taking certain anti-inflammatories that were causing things to get worse. You know right. what I mean? And so yeah. they were creating more. So all of these things added to it, you know, is the idea of where you can take somebody who is perceived to be healthy. And Rob and I have talked about this before is like you get these track stars, for example. Um, and I can't comment on this particular Broadway actor, but um, you get people, for example, who work their lives as athletes. They seem according to a certain standard, to be, well, they're an athlete, so they must be healthy. But many right. times those people aren't actually healthy. They are athletically um, shaped to do something that we perceive is a standard of health, which it's not. And so I would say something like, say, we talk about people that may be a Broadway actor, and I'm not, I'm not here to you know judge on that because I, I don't I've heard of the case, but I haven't looked into it. You can think of somebody who is constantly singing and constantly out there, lung in deficiency. They're constantly talking. So if they get an inflammation in the lungs, right, right, that yin deficiency is going to cause heavier inflammation, heavier heat, which is going to result in a quicker formation of this in the lung. So all of these things are individual looking at them. Um, I think that's what's, that's what's amazing about Chinese medicine is that you're looking at things very individually and you're seeing where they, where they apply for this person, but they're adjusted for this person. Um, yeah, that's, it's pretty amazing. What are some of the most common, um, like we, we use the term chief complaint. What are the most common chief concerns out of these patients that you are treating? Are they all so very different? Are there some that are more common? Cause I, I there's all the ones that we're hearing about in the news. Um, but for you, what have you seen a lot of? Um, okay. So we'll take it based on levels, right? Based on the presentation. So mild presentations are generally people who are get out and they sweat every day through active exercise. Something, even if it's not a lot, they're actively exercising. Oftentimes these people are trying to adjust their diets to eat cleaner, meaning less dairy, less sugar, less gluten. These people tend to present with more mild cases, right? Um, they might have had respiration issues, but they try, they're trying to move away from things that would give them respiration issues, right? Um, 
when you start to get to people who I see generally have much more middle of the road symptoms, not so mild, but more, a little more severe and they come on more quickly. These people, they seem all right. They seem to hold down a job, but they can be a little overweight, right? They don't might not be able to exercise and get the sweat on every day. Maybe they get it on once every few days, right? But oftentimes what takes those people to the more severe level is the fact that when they feel under the weather, they don't make their own food. Mm-hmm. They order it. And then they feel sicker because they're ordering food that's not good for them. And that, or they're eating things that just aren't going to give them the nutrients or the digestive ability to strengthen the stomach to not form phlegm, right? To, to help m- metabolize these fluids. And it that aggregates their chest. People right. in the severe level who move to the severe level rather quickly oftentimes have a history of digestive problems, oftentimes are overweight. This is a very common thing in COVID patients. You'll find in COVID wards, one of the things that that connects most of these COVID patients together in these wards is the level of obesity in most of them, pushes them much quicker to that. And we know that when somebody's obese, they might not say, oh, I have respiration issues, rep- respiratory issues, but we know that they have cardiovascular and respiratory issues. And that's so saying things like, they're contacting you and they're like, I'm, I have more severe short of shortness of breath and I never had shortness of breath. Are they saying I have gastrointestinal distress? Like, um, most people will contact me. Um, people in the mild stage will normally contact me when they start to get chills, fever, and a sore throat, especially right now. People in, uh, as they start very to beginning. Of it. Yeah. Very beginning. And then what'll happen is oftentimes you'll question them about things and you'll ask them if they have shortness of breath and they'll say no but then you'll ask them if they feel like there's pressure on their chest and they'll say yes and so it's just about identifying getting them to identify with what you're saying how these things relate to them you know and then there will be people who normally it's not the per when somebody's in more severe they're not calling me their family member is calling me right, right. and so their family member is saying to me I think my my sister is going to die. If my, my brother is going to die, can you please help him? You know, he doesn't want to go to the hospital. Or, uh, you know, my husband has had this for, you know, two weeks, and it's just not getting any better, and he's getting really stubborn, and I'm really, really worried that he's, you know, I'm going to wake up one day and he's not going to be breathing. And, and that's when those are the severity cases where, for example, that I get called in on. I'm treating them face to face. Um, normally when you go into a situation like that, you're treating the entire family. So you right. go into the household and everybody's got it. Right. Grandma's got it. Grandpa's got it. The two kids have it. Mom and dad have it. They're all living together. You're treating them all as you know, sometimes the kids, you don't really have to treat as much because they tend to phase through it pretty quickly. But you do see for people who don't tend to have the respiratory issues, generally you see more digestive issues. But you can see people with both. However, if you see people with both, oftentimes it's just some loose stools, but then the phlegm oftentimes forms very heavily in the lungs. But it's very individual. You know, you have to take each one on an individual basis. Um, Maybe you guys can talk about the case that Mm -hmm. you treated together so that, you know, listeners can see the progress of what, you know, talk a little bit about how that case started out and and what you guys did. What I wanted to reply to what Mark was just saying is, you know, they're all very individual, yet from the Chinese lens, they're all very similar. Mm-hmm. Right? Is we're seeing different levels of, you know, different um, levels of extremity, right? Either it's a wild case or it's, it's just a deeper and deeper case of that. And the treatment will almost be the same depending on how deep we have to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Did you want to, we can do the case now. That'd be a good idea. Sure. So Rob and I treated somebody together in March. Um, This person's sister contacted me and was very scared. Her sister would not make it through the night. This was back early. I had been posting a lot about, um, I had been posting a lot of uh, documents and things that Dr. Wong had sent me from China, fresh off the press there before they'd even gotten to the, the Western internet world. And I was posting them. I was sharing positions of, of, you know, how to lay somebody. So that the, because a lot of times you get COVID with a dry cough and the lungs get deep in the lobes and you can't get it out. So positioning and lying is really important. So sort of people had started kind of looking at my page and people were sharing my information so much. I had never seen this before in my life, like, you know, two, 300 times. And I was like, wow, that they started, um, 
that basically this, this classmate of mine saw this and she contacted me over her sister. And that's when I called Rob and I said, Hey, you want to go cure some COVID? <laughs> and so we, he got in his motorcycle and I got in my truck and we drove down there and we, uh, we treated her and yeah, she recovered. Do you want to go through the um, tongues? Sure. Sure. I think that's a helpful thing. When we first saw her, she was slumped on the couch, you know, very poor posture like this, um, labored breathing. Um, it was difficult for her to describe how she felt, you know, like her, her thinking process was slowed. And here's a school teacher who's used to being present sure. and, and on the, on the go, you know, six, right. eight hours a day plus. And um, right there in that treatment, we got some changes. So this is this uh, image that we're putting up is the first tongue that we took. I think was was even after a little bit of treatment, if you remember, Mark. Mm. And yes, yeah, right. So what you see there is a is a heavy coating uh, that that color indicating a lot of heat and stagnation in the body, right? So this tongue here shows that there is a congealed phlegm in the lungs along with inflammation. This is what it looks like. Now, you have to always take this in context with the presentation of the person's symptoms to know, right? It's not a one. You can't just look at somebody's tongue and say, oh, it's got a thick coat. They must have phlegm in the lungs. There's a good chance. But with her presentation, you know that this is a sign of, particularly when you check it with the pulses, this is a sign of, of severe phlegm congelation, what they call in Western medicine, GGO or ground glass opacity in the lungs. And you want next slide mm -hmm. or next image. Come so the next image here, I think, is after the first. This is after the yeah. first day of treatment at the very end. You can already see that the uh, the yellow was starting to fade a little bit and they were getting white frothiness. It's starting to break up a little bit on the side. It's not so red and stiff. Um, this is a sign that some of the heat is clearing, particularly out of the phlegm. And as you do that, the phlegm starts to soften a bit. It's not so that heat will dry the phlegm and cause it to congeal. Looks like it's not quite as dry. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Nourishing, we nourished yin in this and we cleared a lot of heat. Remember we bled, we bled lung 11, we bled lung 10, we even bled the shoe points. It was, it was a lot of clearing heat. One of the interesting things in this, when you look at all these slides, exactly what Rob said, she couldn't move. She looked like she got hit by a car. She was crumpled over on the side or somebody punched her in the stomach. Um, one of the things you find with these COVID patients, there's a, a lot of liver fire that develops. And so you get an incessant tapping. Their foot's like tap, 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 tap. And so while she's sitting there not moving, her foot is incessantly tapping nonstop uh, because there's all this liver fire. She needs to get it out somehow. And I'm as you see to the tongue clear, it's not tapping. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's not a TCM practitioner, um, just so much blazing fire going on, I guess would be the best way to describe it for someone who's not a practitioner. Hmm. Well, she has, she has the energy. It's just, it's, it's not, just getting, not going it's to where not, it needs not going to where it needs to go. And it's bouncing off of this obstruction right. in the body. Right. And it's just, mm -hmm. let me out, let me out. It's kind of okay. like, like you said, it's coming out of her skin. It's right. so bad. Right. Uh, Daryl, points up a question uh, back in that March, April timeframe, springtime, there were, she saw a lot of GI issues with people. And, and what has happened to that strain? Oh, I think it's still there. Cause that's what Andrew had. Yeah. Andrew had the GI and, yeah. you know, like congestion symptoms. He had both. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about yeah. Mark. Are you still seeing GI? Yep. Symptoms? I'm actually some of the earliest ones that I saw were GI. I had a patient of mine call me. She was an older patient. Uh, she was an old patient of mine from when I had my clinic in Connecticut. And um, she was, uh, she's a Navy wife. Her husband works in the Navy and they are stationed in Virginia beach. And they were, you know, the, a lot of the Navy was really being ignorant to a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And so her husband worked in an office with a bunch of Navy guys who had just flown back from Italy. They had a quarantine them. they hadn't done anything. Suddenly the whole office comes down with this massive, like incessant GI flu that won't go away. And she's and I. She called me and she goes, "Do you think it's COVID?" I said, "Probably." <laughs> and uh, so I shipped her a Hoshang Jiangchi one because all of the all of the symptoms fit that. 
And within 48 hours, this guy who had been, he had a fever and he had severe constipation with the diet. It was just interesting because a lot of people have loose stools. He had a fever. It was drying and it was uh, severe stomach cramps. And um, within 48 hours, everything cleared and he was pooping. I think he pooped within six hours of taking the pills and or taking the herbs. And uh, that was something. And I oftentimes don't necessarily always care about the strain. I care about the presentation as it reacts with the person. Because in Chinese medicine, you know, if you're di- if you could have be born with great lungs and you don't really form phlegm in the lungs, you know, but somebody else happens to be born with an all right digestion. They don't really eat pizza, this and that. They eat fairly clean, but they always tend to have incessant, you know, nasal sinus cavity. So you want to look for what's happening. Also, sometimes people have gone through medical procedures, like, for example, this one here that we see. And there was another one that we'll talk about later that we have an audio for. Both of them have had a history of sinus uh, sinus issues and both have a history of using prednisone long term. And that led to extremely exacerbated lung issues. Particularly, I saw this in a lot of patients with, uh, with pneumonia issues, severe pneumonia. They had been on prednisone. They had been using albuterol inhalers. And these things had all made it worse in the long term rather than better. And it extended the problem, even though it seems like, oh, albuterol inhalers, they can breathe easier. It just kind of pushes things down deeper and you got to get it out, you know? And so you're kind of working against that. Right. Let's go on to the next image, which is before the second treatment. And there was mm-hmm. a day, day's break between the two treatments. Mm-hmm. Here you can see how significant the change is just in 24, 36 hours. Yeah her body just moved with it, you know, and started really working. This is also the day that we realized we couldn't skip any days with COVID patients um, because we skipped the day and we we're like, great, look at the tongue. And then we got a call that night and she was bad. And I was like, Oh, no more skipping. <laughs> you know, like, I go that- back to the, that's something that we are still trying to teach people here that you know there are some conditions that the greater progress you'll see is with more frequent treatments in the beginning and sometimes we have a hard time convincing people to do you know one to two treatments every week where with something like this you might need for that whole two weeks to be seen you know every day yeah we talk about it i talk about discuss it with patients as dosage because that makes sense to americans right yeah the dosage for this disease is going to be like this in fact there were a couple of days where we treated her twice in that day mm-hmm. we really wanted to push it um so what i would do is i would treat her in the morning i think there was there was a day rob did you come up for those days some of those days and you yeah. came for one treatment and then i and then we had we had kind of, or maybe in the morning i had gone and then in the afternoon we met at her house or something yeah. like that there were a couple of those where mm-hmm. I stayed with a friend who was local to this patient because she was she was in New York, and um, I uh, and I would treat her in the morning, and then I'd be come back after lunch, you know, later afternoon with Rob there. And sometimes that's needed for these severe patients. Um, at Pochi Lam, when I had my clinic, there were some patients that I would treat before lunch, and I would have them bring a lunch and sit around and eat lunch, and then I would treat them right afterwards. And that was something I saw in China sometimes, where sometimes that frequency is needed to kind of solidify what you're trying to do because it's about dosage you're trying to move the body in a direction just like you might increase dosage with an herbal medicine you may need to increase dosage with acupuncture it just sometimes has to be like that um and you have another case before we talk about things that we want patients to do Mm -hmm. in terms of managing Yeah, we have uh, um, we have more. Do we want to go through more of these tongues? Because it is pretty miraculously, you know, for people who don't know anything about tongues, you will see a change in her tongue where it doesn't look like the same thing. And it was really funny because when Rob and I were posting these, remember, Rob, we had that person from the CDC get on. It was like, this is thrush. (laughs) And it was like, (laughs) uh, what kind of thrush are you looking at? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I must have I, missed that because was, I would have just. Somewhere, I'm going to sure. do the Dr. Fauci thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiding yeah. behind my. I was just like, and there was like, there was a bunch of people. It was actually crazy. I've never gone, I've never had anything I've done gone viral. I've pretty much kept a low profile. But when Rob and I started putting out these pictures, this really went viral. Like, 
right? I don't know. I like people were sharing this, and I started getting comments on my wall, like "You're a charlatan," da 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 da. And I was like, "What? Like she's she's got better from COVID? How am I a charlatan?" Or like people were saying, "Well, this is a one-off. Let's see you do it again." We don't really know. And I was like, "All right." In fact, I've already done it four more times. I just haven't wrote anything about it, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> but it's it was funny. Yeah. So there. So here we are. This is what the fourth, third, or fourth treatment. I think it's the uh, prior to day two. Okay. So what happened here was on day two of treatment, we saw some progress, but I personally wasn't happy with it. I was. I decided that we needed more. Um. And so I had gone home and thought about what I wanted to do. And I talked to Rob about it. And I was sitting there. Actually, this is a funny story. Because I would call the woman's sister who had called me. And I'd call, talk to the woman's daughter every day to give them an update. And while sitting there, I was bouncing ideas off some people I was talking to. And they were just kind of following along, but not really commenting. And I was watching the sunset. And suddenly, it was like, bing, light went on. And I was like, this is the divergence. Oh my gosh. And so that's when we came in and we started treating the divergent channels. And that's when the tongue overnight goes from heat and phlegm coat to in the middle of the night, she woke up and she started hacking up, but she felt were like gobs of her lungs. And this just phlegm peeled out of her body. And the next day you're going to see that her tongue coat is almost completely peeled. And the only thing we're dealing with at that point is heat. We have one more, or yeah, next one. There's, there's plenty more, but uh, oh, okay. but we could scroll down to that. So this is the second day, day two, end of the treatment, post treatment. All right, day three. Let's see if it's day three. Um, okay, so day three. This is day three, and then it must have been on day three. That's when we started the divergent treatments because I wasn't happy with the prolongedness of what was happening. I wanted it to happen faster. So on day three, I think was the day we started the divergence. And then we'll see from here. Yep, you, you'll see on day four now after she went to sleep, she wakes up on day four. See that? This, her tongue coat is completely peeled. That's when using the divergent treatments, consolidated <clears throat> the chi of the body to push this out of the deep lobes of her lungs overnight. Fantastic. And the next one? Yeah, and the next one you'll see. And then you start to see some of the heat clear. And then basically we progressed and we moved the heat out of her body and you see the tongue start to return to normal, a normal pinkish color. She still had some heat, you know, to be resolved when we ended the treatments, but we at least got her out of the woods. And that was what the mm -hmm. important part was before returning, um, before leaving uh, New York and coming to Connecticut or so. Yeah, and she was now at, at this point, she's sitting at the edge of the couch, sitting up straight. Mm. Yes. Having full sentences over and over again, where before that she'd have to actually pause in the middle of a sentence wow. to take a breath. Right. right? She and was actually back to work. She started working this day. Remember, she got on the computer. She was starting to teach classes right. online again. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's great. By day seven, she or by treatment seven, she was up and walking up and down the street and walking around the house. Actually, it was day four, Rob, or day five. I think it was day four when we showed up. And she was folding clothes and she had done her hair. Yeah. I think yeah. day five, she, she was able to like fully take showers and basically change clothes and do everything. And was like, I don't want to look like a mess in front of you. So like, I was like, okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So yeah, it's pretty miraculous. I mean, I will say that I have, I, I strongly believe, I mean, all Chinese medicine is great, right? Herbal medicine, acupuncture. But when it comes to things like this, acupuncture just works so fast when done correctly. It works faster than than giving somebody herbs. Um, this is why acupuncture should be used as an emergency medicine. It can really, you know, return life to people, you know, who are on the verge of a precipice that could be very dangerous. Um, acupuncture works that fast. It works that fast. If you know what you're doing, if you analyze the case correctly, if you catch the person where they are, it will work that fast and it will be able to save a lot of lives as we've done now over and over with COVID patients. Okay. There we go. So uh, back to these uh, long haulers that we're seeing, what are, what are some of the common concerns that you're seeing post COVID with people? 
Um, so with that, I'm seeing a lot of yin deficiency because the COVID has kind of burned through a lot of the yin of the body, whether it be blood, yin mm. fluids. Um, in some people, when they develop neurological conditions and things that affect, say, um, you could say there are people talk about like um, effects to cells and, you know, the, the, the bone marrow and whatnot. This is like the, the, yeah, the thick fluids of the body that go to nourish these areas. Um, you can see that this has been burned out in the process of trying to deal with this. Um, so you're looking to harmonize yin and yang. You're looking to build back yang. Many of them are very tired. But in order to do that, you also have to nourish and consolidate yin. And in acupuncture, we have to we have to nourish yin. We can do that with needles, but we have to be able to have somebody eating a diet that gives them the nutrients, right? In herbal medicine, you kind of get that through your herbs. But when you're doing acupuncture, you have to also get it through diet. It should always be done through diet. But so that's something that I work with with patients is getting them on a diet, oftentimes like soup broths, you know, uh, mm -hmm. lentils, you know, steamed, you know, sprouted brown rice, things that are very basic, very easy to eat, sweet potato, right. cinnamon, and then doing moxa, doing certain breathing exercises. And, and these things, these people recover um, pretty quickly. I recently, I had a patient who had neurological burning in his arms, in his chest, and he would get flushes at night. He would wake up with, it was very obvious to me. I was like, oh, this is all coming because of the, the severe yin deficiency he has. And the symptoms to me all followed um, the pericardium and Sanjiao divergent symptoms. I started treating him. The very first treatment, his hot flashes and his neurological pain went from a 10 to a 2. One treatment. And then the next treatment now, he's like once. Now I think this is uh, the third week. He's only had one very minor um, event like a few weeks, a few days ago. But one of the things that was very interesting is we switched him from drinking cold water, which kind of he's deficient in kidney yang, right? He's deficient in this warm energy. So when he drinks cold water, the yang of the kidneys wells up to try to push. It's not balanced by the yin because he was yin deficient. So it was welling up to try to deal with this cold that was coming in. There wasn't enough yin to balance that. And it was resulting in severe hot flashes. He was like, I'm getting hot. I'm getting hot. And I was like, do you drink cold water? You know, he's a, he had malar flush and everything. I said, he said, yeah. I said, drink hot water. He started drinking the hot water. The hot flashes went away. It's that homeopathy kind of thing. Treat like with like. Mm. This idea was the idea that number one, you, you're, you're, you, we need to nourish the yin. We don't want the kidney yang to keep welling up to try to warm the stomach. Oh the that you want it to be. So drink hot water. And if you have excess yang, it'll help you sweat it out. But it right. will not overstimulate kidney yang. And we'll give it enough time to balance out with the yin. And so he did it. And he came back. He's like, I'm a believer, man. I just bought myself a thermos. I All I do is drink hot water to work down. And I was like, great. You know? And Another breakthrough. Um, yep. Do you want to pop up Hillary's question? Yeah, let's do that. So as new strains of COVID emerge, do you ever need to adjust your treatments or change herbal remedies? Or is it treated specifically as to how CV presents in the individual? It's always treated based on how it presents in the individual first. You can adjust based on certain strains or different things, but remember, it's always terrain-based first. What is your body going through? Where is the person? That's how Chinese medicine is based, right? So it's very particular and individual. We have patent medicines, and sometimes we need to adjust those. And but those patent medicines have been developed for epidemics and you know outbreaks and whatnot. But we always know that personalized medicine works better, and that's what acupuncture should be, and that's what herbal medicine should be. However, in a pinch, there are certain patent medicines that will be adjusted for certain things and whatnot. Um, however, overall in Chinese medicine. You're always adjusting based on the overall presentation, the terrain of the individual, the environment they're living in, the social climate they're living in. Those things all play a role. And you can see that historically in Chinese medicine, for example, with the development of different schools, Gong Sha Pai, the school of attacking and purging, the uh, Han Liang Pai, the school of cooling and uh, cold, or even the Wen Bing school. These all came out of changing social climates personal terrains, society was changing. So all of this plays into that. Yeah. I think of the uh, patents as, as your like go-to first line of defense, right? Yeah. Uh, start that as a preventative 
Right. Uh, maybe continue it if you get presentations, but then you're going to start looking at maybe specializing the more formula, specifics. tweaking it a little bit to get more specific, yeah. and the acupuncture being the specific treatment, like you said, for that particular case patient presentation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of times patients, you can't get them particular formulas. There's a lot of backup in this and that. And you can't always modify, you know, people have to already have those things on hand to be able to modify, right? Right. There's a lot of backup. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll send a patient a formula. And then if I need to adjust or modify, I'll just do it with acupuncture. Yeah. You know, Um, that's an easy way to do it. I mean, I know it's not a, a, a true to form herbal medicine thing, but I'm more currently an acupuncturist than I am an herbalist. That's really what my specialty lies in. Um, I'm not really an herbalist. Um, if I have to compare it to my acupuncture skills, I know enough to get by, but that's not really my thing. Um, I am, I do for external medicine. I know far more herbs for like external medicine, but right. uh, herbal ideas, but it's more, I am, I mean, I did postdoctoral studies in acupuncture. So that's, if I, I don't, because my herbal medicine understanding is not as high as my acupuncture understanding, I don't claim to be an herbalist. One day, yeah, but not not now. But even with that said, acupuncture works faster. It works faster for this stuff. Like, and it's not to down herbs. You should be using herbs absolutely through everything. But like, you have to wait for them to ingest them, to digest them, and have them go into effect. You can needle somebody and get instantaneous results, which we'll be showing here later in the podcast. Um, do you want to do the other case study before we wrap up? Or? Yeah, the other one is really short. Okay. Right. Mark, this is, uh, I'll let you introduce it. It's a, an audio clip. Okay. So this is another patient who was severe. Um, another one that I, I've treated a lot of severe ones at this point. This is another one, another call I got from a family member who was worried they were going to die. They lived in different States. They were like, please, please, um, help them out. So, uh, and this was in a, a, a very low income, um, kind of rough area in, uh, in Connecticut. And so I drove over, uh, I drove about an hour to go see this patient and, um, they were in real rough shape. Uh, at first they weren't doing so bad, but then it got rough. Um, when they, uh, they were taking an inhaler and they tried to do some things and it got really, really bad. And so, uh, that's when I got contacted. And so I went and treated them. Um, they were overweight. They had respiratory, a history of respiratory issues. And so, just, you know, used, identified what was wrong with the patient, created a treatment plan, a diagnosis, <clears throat> a treatment plan, and then um, the our, our treatment principles, and then a treatment plan. You know, what's the principle? What, what do I want to accomplish? What do I need to do to do this based on channel theory in this? And the results are instantaneous, and you'll hear it here in the, uh, in the clip. Well, this is the third day. You can hear his breathing. He's having trouble breathing. This is after going up and down the stairs. It's very labored breathing. Other than that, though, the fever has been gone, but he's starting to get pain, correct? Okay. So pulses on the right wrist. The left wrist, I'm sorry. They're slightly wiry, mostly tight and slightly rapid. The trip position is rather thin and tight. The guan is a bit rapid, a little bit slippery in quality. He is on the prednisone, and he is on any virus still? No, I'm not just, on nothing. No, nothing now. Okay. Just, just, just the LV remote. Okay. And the uh, the true position is tight, fatter than the others, but actually, like, the actual pulse quality itself is thinner. There's the tightness in the vessel. It's larger. Okay. On the left, on the right side, the uh, lungs position is, is weak, very thin. The guan position is also rather thin, rather weak, and the position is almost like thready. All right, let's get a picture of your tongue. So, so that's the sound of somebody who is in severe, very severe COVID, right? They can't breathe. That's what they sound like. Um, and it can seem scary to some people if they've never dealt with it, but you'll hear now how quickly acupuncture deals with it and how instantaneously you can turn people around. Yeah, pretty miraculous. You know? So um, so just real quick before we close up, can you give us some things that um, our listeners who are not acupuncturists can take um, as advice of 
here's some of the things that you shouldn't have in your diet. Here are some of the things that you should have in your diet. Um, just some advice to try and stay healthy through all of this. Um, all right. So things to avoid are going to be processed foods, obviously. Cold, raw foods you're going to want to avoid, especially during the cold seasons. Um, you're going to want to cook most things to make them easier to digest. You're going to want to avoid excess sugars, um, processed foods that have a lot of gluten and sugar in them together, and avoid most dairy products. Um, you know, ghee is one thing, but most dairy products are going to cause a lot of phlegm. So you're avoiding a lot of phlegm causing things. You're going to want to eat a lot of uh, clear broth soups, things that have been cooked for a while. Uh, and I can send you guys a, a, so you can put on the site, I'll send you a recipe for a phenomenal base broth that comes from Sichuan cuisine that is very good to use to make, but you can also drink it. And you can use this as a base for things. Things to build energy back and keep people strong. So um, when people are recovering from COVID or even during COVID, you want them to eat very clean and healthy. So drinking broths are good. Broths that might have things like daikon radish, leek, ginger. These things will help to clear phlegm and heat from the lungs. Particularly the daikon will clear heat and phlegm from the lungs. Um, things that strengthen the weichi, coriander, right? Leek, allium family things such as scallions. Uh, you can wash the roots and include them in the broth, and that would uh, help to nourish yin, right? Because the roots of these plants sit below the ground, so they absorb the earth's yin. And so this is a lot of times we cut those off, we throw them right away. But we want that yin uh, substance to nourish and help to support sweating. We don't want to just support sweating because then we become yin deficient. We want things that actually help to build the yin in the body. So these are very important. Other things that work well, especially in people who are qi and blood deficient post-COVID, would be things like goji berries, right? So goji berry and chicken is a really simple dish with goji berry, chicken, and leek, where you use a chicken broth like the base broth from the Sichuan cooking. And you basically bring this to a simmer and you let it cook for 45 minutes. It's really easy, a little bit of soy sauce. It comes out of a book. There's a really good one, Ancient Wisdom Modern Kitchen. There's a book, they call it Champion Chicken with Goji Berry. I use that with a number of patients who were recovering and they found in just one meal, they felt like they got a lot of their energy back, right? So it's a great book. It's a very kind of earth school-esque book, uh, P-Way Loon, like this earth school-esque type of thing. A lot of it's based on nourishing the stomach and the spleen through foods as being your primary source. And they actually have a number of earth school formulas that have been modified so that you can get them in the United States or in Western countries easier because you might not be able to get everything that was there. So these are important things. Um, so, and that's really what I've been using. You know, I've been in and out of patients' houses since last March, nonstop. You know, right. the biggest thing is, number one, it's not the PPE you're wearing. It's how your body is, what your body is, you know. Right. Qigong, exercise every day, getting some sweat on, at least a light sweat, you know, not too exhausting. Um, right. Eating right as well as you can, you know. Uh, and then uh, herbal prophylactics, Right. And then things to keep your body healthy and good sleep. That's yeah. another thing. Those things are really, and then getting out in the sun, you know, getting yeah. out underneath the sun and making sure you get out there in the sun, breathing fresh air. And guess what? I've been in and out of houses, treating people face to face since last March. I've been tested for COVID six times, nasal swab and PCR test multiple times. And I still test negative. Still test negative. And I'm still doing it, you know? So, yeah. I think we have one more question before we wrap up from mm -hmm. um, Catherine McKenzie. Uh, recommendations or suggestions as a prep for the COVID vaccine if you react to vaccines? Someone told her uh, immunodilators, they requested yin chow san, acupuncture, or other suggestions. And she said the local hospital also suggested Benadryl. Um, so I guess... The one thing about the acupuncture stuff is, number one, you're going to have to be an acupuncturist to do a lot of these things. Not Layman probably will not be able to treat a lot of these things. So, but one of the big things with with this is that you're when you're dealing with a vaccination, you're affecting what? You're affecting the urenchi, right? The, the jing of the body. And in that case, it's the way that the urenchi unfolds and moves out into the body. And that's the aspect of the sanjiao, right? The triple burner. So right. you're using the sanjiao channel to kind of clear this heat that's affecting the urine level so points like waiguan sanjiao five right sanjiao three four the source sanjiao two one these things to clear heat um there might be a 
early idea if it's affecting, and then you want to take it based on what organs it's affecting. Is it affecting the lungs? Are you finding heat reactions? Are you going to have to use lung 10, lung 11? You know, um, are you going to have to treat? So like the law is the idea of leading things out. The law on the Sanjiao channel is going to be the idea of leading things that affect the yuan out of the blood. And this vaccination has just been injected into the blood. So these are kind of ideas that would be used in acupuncture for things like this. But there again, it's 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 this could create a whole class and we could talk, but these are just some ideas that you can use when you're dealing with this. Sorry, Kat, you're right. I, I read so quickly. Um, immunomodulators I was reading so fast. Oh yeah. So, um I just want to thank Mark for joining us and just read through some of our closing things. We just want to remind everyone that we have switched the practical podcast to a weekly format. It's also available on Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, as well as being able to watch the replays right here on Facebook. Um, make sure you're following us on Instagram, that you like and follow us on Facebook. You can find out more information about our practices through um, those pages. We have a link tree for the Practical Medicine Podcast, and it links to Dr. Rob's practice and my own. Um, and we'll try and get some of those pictures up on the Facebook pages so that you can see those tongue pics that Mark shared with us. Um, our next episode on February 1st will be with Caitlin Donovan, Caitlin Donovan and she's going to talk to us about burnout. On February 8th, Dr. Clayton Shu will be on to talk more about stroke and cranial nerve relief. On February 15th, in honor of February being National Heart Health Month, we will be talking to you about heart health. And then on February 22nd, we will be welcoming Dr. Darrell, who is also a licensed acupuncturist and licensed massage therapist. And she's going to talk to us about acupuncture and pregnancy. So thank you again, thank you, Mark, Mark, for all that great information. Super. Thanks for having me. Rob, if you do have the um the full the recording of where you can hear what I'm needling, you can hear the change in it. Um please put that up on your uh podcast website so people can hear how quickly, how quickly his uh respiration changes. And so that hasn't been previously released. It just sent it to Rob. Uh but that's how quickly people react to say point combinations that are used for um, a specific thing. In this case, in, in COVID, we found that point combinations such as the uh, she cleft point of the lung, lung six, and kidney three, the source point of the kidneys, works instantaneously and to help ease breathing, but also will work over a course of a few hours to raise their saturated oxygen in the blood. Um, so that was something that Rob and I talked about and we did with the first patient, but we didn't really record it. However, with this patient, I recorded his voice while doing it and you can hear him change instantaneously. You can hear those changes. Very cool. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Thanks. We will see you next week. Right. Thanks, Ming. Thank you. The contents presented during the Practical Medicine Podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented. The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, D-A-C-L-A-C, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, D-A-C-M-L-A-C, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition. The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. 
privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places, and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.